Now, brothers and sisters, let's take out our Bibles together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 today. We'll begin in verse 12 here in just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. We'll be looking back at the text constantly, time and time again, so I would encourage you to take out a Bible and look at it with us. I think you'll uh, best receive the sermon today uh, by having a copy that you can look down at yourself. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. Our text today speaks of church membership. What does it mean to be a member of a church? What does that really mean? What does it mean to join a church in membership? Is it a way to gain votes, to gain a a vote in the decision-making of the church? Or is it like a country club membership? I pay my dues, and then I have access to all the exclusive benefits and services of that organization. Is it like a family tradition? We keep our membership here because that's where our family has always been members, and that's what we want on the obituary when we pass away. What is church membership? What really is it biblically? Today we're going to see from our text that the church is like a body, and we are members of it. The church is like a physical body with members, And so just as your physical body has many different members doing many different things, so is the church spiritually. But we'll also see today the church should be like a family, like a family. Let's see what we mean from our text. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, God's word through the Apostle Paul, starting in verse 12. I'll read down to verse 26. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body... So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary... The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another." If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. One of the things I want you to see today in our text is that Paul points out two faulty ways that we sometimes think about being part of a church. Two faulty ways that sometimes we think about being part of a church. And I want to hit both of them. The first comes in verses 15 through 16. Sometimes, when we think of being part of a church, we think the church doesn't need me. The church doesn't need me. I think we're all prone to think of this 
at times. Look at verse 15. He says, sometimes the foot might say to the, to the, the foot might say of a body, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Verse 16, perhaps the ear says, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. Now apply that physical illustration to the spiritual body of Christ. Do you sometimes look at others within the body of Christ using their gifts and say, well, I'm not like that. So I guess I'm not really needed in the church. I think we're all prone to this. I don't fit the mold. I'm not what everyone expects a church member to be. So the church really doesn't need me. Think about all of the kinds of different people that we have in churches, in a a church body like this one. Here's a man who isn't good at building or fixing things. He sees all the other men in the church contributing in that way. They're handy. They can fix stuff, right? They're good with their hands, but he's not. And he says, well, I'm not like that. Maybe the church doesn't need me. I'm not your typical guy in the church. But he really likes reading and talking with others about what he reads. Is there a place for someone like that in the church? Of course there is. Here's a man who doesn't want to be up in front of others. He's just not like that at all. He he gets nervous about being up in front of others, but he sees all these other people leading like that, standing up in front, speaking, leading from the front, and he says, well, I'm not like that, so the church probably doesn't need me. I'm, I, I'm just not wired like that. But he's a good organizer. He's a good planner. Is there a place in the church for him? Absolutely. Here's a lady who sees all the stereotypical things ladies do in the church. Cooking, taking care of the children and teaching them, decorating. And she says, that's wonderful, but that's not me. That's not me. I feel called to teach the Bible. Is there a place in the church for a woman like that? Absolutely. Or here's a lady who is quite introverted. She doesn't really jump at the chance to talk to lots of people. When there's a fellowship event, she's not raring to go to sign up because of how nervous it makes her. The time before and after the service when everyone's standing around and talking to one another and having a great time, she'd much rather bolt and get out the back early So she doesn't have to deal with all of that. It makes her so nervous. And yet, she's good with numbers and details. And she has a desire to sacrifice her time for the body of Christ. Is there a place in the church for her? Absolutely. Look at verse 17 with me. Verse 17 in our text. It says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Or verse 19, if all were a single member, there wouldn't be a body. Right? If everybody was the same, there wouldn't be a body. Think of the chaos, the utter chaos in here this morning, if every single person was trying to preach. Think about what that would be like, right? It might be a joyful noise to the Lord, but there'd be all kinds of disorder. No one would understand what was being said. People might get jealous, start fighting over who gets to speak and who gets to the attention. It'd be insane. Or think about, what if tomorrow morning, Every single member of this church calls up the office and says, I want to be a part of the decorating committee. 200 people on the decorating committee. That next meeting is going to be a disaster, right? You're not going to get anything done at all. If the, the whole body were the same, it'd be a disaster. But as it is, God has made us different from one another intentionally. God has put intentional, beautiful diversity in the body of Christ so that we can all use our gifts so that we can all 
do our roles, the opportunities that God has given us, and it's a beautiful thing, we should embrace it instead of looking over there and saying, I'm not like that and getting defeated, or looking over there and saying, I'm not like that and getting jealous. We should look over there and say, I'm not like that, and that's great. I am not like that, and that's great. Y'all, I'm telling you, I do this all the time. When I look out into the church and I see things that I don't have to do, even though I'm the minister, I rejoice and thank the Lord because I'm not like that, right? I can do what I can do, but there are plenty of things that I can't do, my wife will tell you. And I'm so glad that there are people in the church who are not like me and who have skills that I don't have and do the things that I can't do. I'm so glad it's like that. One of the greatest teams in NBA history was the 1985-86 Boston Celtics with Larry Bird. Right? 85 is the year I was born, believe it or not. But that was one of the greatest teams in NBA history. Some would even still argue that that was the greatest team in NBA history. Well, Kevin McHale was the power forward on that team. Kevin McHale, if you remember, he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, he coached in the NBA for a time. Kevin McHale said of that team, he said everyone knew their role and they embraced it. Larry was the leader, but all of us had our jobs to do. And we went to work every day and we did our jobs. It was like punching in the clock, going to your place on the assembly line. And we embraced it. And the team flourished because of that. They ran through the NBA that year. I mean, the playoffs were like a formality. They won the championship easily. But it was because every person on that team had their role and they embraced it. What if everybody was trying to lead the team in scoring? What if everybody wanted to be the MVP of the NBA, not just Larry Bird? It'd be a disaster, and that's happened on plenty of sports teams that we've seen in the past, right? But they had everybody doing their role, right? They had their post players. They had their guards. They had their their reserves from the bench. Everybody embraced it, and because they did, what happened was what's known as synergy, right? The result is greater than the sum of the parts. This is the way God has set up his people, the church. When we embrace our roles and embrace the beautiful differences that God has given to us, Not only are we happier individually, but the church as a whole is effective in a way it could never be otherwise. Effective in a way that it could not be without everyone embracing the gifts that God has given them, the role that God has given them, the opportunities that God has given them, and being joyful that God did not give them a different one, but he gave that to someone else. Verse 18 says, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them just as He chose. God is doing this on purpose. And it's a beautiful thing in His sight. It's a beautiful thing. And so you don't have to have a certain kind of personality to be a contributing member of this church. You just have to be willing to serve however God gives you the opportunity. One of the the shows that my wife and my kids and I have been watching recently is called The Chosen. This is a life of Jesus type of show. And I'll tell you, I'm I'm generally pretty skeptical about these kinds of shows. Shows about the life of Jesus and biblical stories and stuff. Because usually they're kind of cheesy. And they're not very well done. But this one's really good, really well done. But there's an episode toward the end of season 8 where Jesus has a, a really poignant conversation with Peter's wife. We know from scripture that Peter was married. Peter was married because there's an episode where Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. Peter's mother-in-law is sick, apparently seriously sick, and Jesus heals her. So Peter was actually married, but we don't know much about the details. In the show, Peter's wife uh, is given the name Eden. And there's one point in the show where uh, Jesus comes across Eden in the house, 
as she is having a moment of weakness, uh, it's, it's kind of overcoming her, the burden of everything that's on her shoulders. Her mother is living with them. She's sick. And it seems like she's dying and they can't do anything about it. It's just, it's just one of those sicknesses. They don't have the means to help her, so they just have to keep her comfortable as best they can until she passes away. She's got that weighing on her. But then her husband is away with Jesus all the time, being a disciple, following Jesus. And so she doesn't want to get upset about that, but it, it, it does mean that there's more on her. Lo- there's more loaded on her shoulders because he's not there at all, really, when, when the, the disciples are away with Jesus. And so Jesus has a conversation with her, and he starts it off, and he says, Eden, I see you. Do you understand me? I see you. He says, I I know it's hard to have your husband away all the time, following me, even as you're excited about it. I know it's hard, and you have your mother who is sick. But I want you to know, and he says this to her, and it's it's one of the, the best parts of the show. He says, I want you to know you have a part to play in all of this. And she tears up and she can't believe what he's saying. And she says, I do? Me? I have a part to play in in all of this? And he says, yes, you. Brothers and sisters, that is us. That is what God is saying to each one of us today. You have a part to play in the body of Christ. An important part. A part that is not less than someone else's. A part that is needed. The church needs you, brothers and sisters. This church will not be as effective if you do not allow us to benefit from your gifts. This church will not reach the lost like it could if you do not serve, if you do not give of yourself in your unique ways that God has wired you. This church will not glorify Jesus Christ as much as it could without you using your gifts to contribute to the body of Christ. You have a part to play in all of this. The church needs you, brothers and sisters. It needs every one of you. But that's just one of the faulty ways that Paul points out people are thinking. Sometimes we can think of the church in a different way, a different faulty way. We can start thinking that not the church doesn't need me, but I don't need the church. I don't need the church. Look at verse 21. In verse 21 he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. Now this is one, I think, this is one of the greatest problems in the American church today. This is one of the greatest problems in the American church today. We have all these people, and I'm talking about all churches. We have all these people who attend church on Sunday, but with their life, with their life they are essentially saying, we can take care of ourselves, thank you very much. We can take care of ourselves, thanks. We don't need anything from anyone else. We don't need anyone to do anything for us. There's other people who need you to do things for them, but not us. We'll take care of ourselves. We're fine. No big deal. Thanks. Brothers and sisters, you need the body of Christ. You need it. If you don't think you do, you are deceived. You have talked yourself into a lie from Satan. You need the body of Christ. Think about this. We need, in our spiritual walk with Christ, we need elders and pastors. We need them. They are our shepherds. We need them to care pastorally for us. If we do not think that we need that, that is an arrogance and a confidence that Satan wants you to have. We need the care 
that God has given to his church through shepherds, through pastors and elders. We need that spiritual care. You need, brothers and sisters, if you are walking with Christ, you need people to check up on you regularly. You need people to check up on you. Not just physically, we're all going to need that at some point, but we need people to check up on us spiritually. We need people calling us and meeting with us saying, how's your walk with the Lord? What are you struggling with lately? What are the ways that that I can pray for you? And not just your, your physical needs. What are the ways that I can pray for you spiritually? How are you doing with God? How are you doing with Bible reading? How are your devotional times going? Brothers and sisters, we need this. We need to do this for one another, and we need to have this done to us. If we want to walk this walk of faith, if we want to fight this fight of faith and do it successfully, we need this. We need accountability. We need our church family to put us back on the biblical path when we start to stray. All of us are going to need that at one time or another. All of us at one time or another are going to need someone to come alongside of us and say, hey, you need, you need to start going this way. You're straying away from God's path, even just a bit, even if it's just a bit. Let me help you get back. We need that, brothers and sisters. If we think we don't, we are dangerously arrogant. We need it. You need to serve. We talk about that. You need to serve. All of us need to serve. All of us need that, not just because the church needs it, because we need it, right? You need to give your spiritual gifts to others. You need to serve in a way that's about something greater than yourself. We all need to serve. But hear this. You also need to be served. You need to be served by the body of Christ. You need it. Do you remember Peter in the upper room when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet? And Peter looks at Jesus and he says, You shall never wash my feet. You're Jesus. right? I should be watching, washing yours. You shouldn't wash my feet. And Jesus looks back at him and he says, Peter, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, you need to allow yourself to be served. You need to be served, and you need to let people serve you sometimes. Instead of always turning away from it, you need to let the body of Christ serve you sometimes. Many times it's for your good. Sometimes it will be for their good. Sometimes for their good, you need to let them serve you. But brothers and sisters, you need to be served. The Bible has this constant thread going through it, and it's unexpected. You would expect God to say to us over and over again, you serve me, you serve me, you serve me. But that's not what we find in the Bible over and over again. What you see over and over again is God saying to people, no, no, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to serve you. You don't put me in your debt. I put you in my debt. Think of David. David had this wonderful idea. His heart was in the right place. I live in a palace and God's presence in the Ark of the Covenant dwells in a tent. Let's build a temple. Let's build a palace for the Lord to dwell in. And God comes back to David and says, no, I don't need that. I don't need you to do that for me. No, what's going to happen, David, is you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house, a spiritual house of descendants that will go all the way to the line, eventually leading to Christ. And David is overwhelmed 
with joy in his prayer of response, saying, who am I that God would give this to me? That's the way God does things. He serves. There's a passage in the Gospels that talks about in the end, in eternity, Jesus will set us down at the table of the wedding feast. And instead of us serving Him, He will serve us. And He will be glad to do it. And He will be glorified because He does it. He will serve us. It's something that I wouldn't believe if it wasn't in the Bible. And yet it's there. Jesus serves We need to be served, brothers and sisters. We need to let the body of Christ serve us at times. And I think we have a big problem with that in our self-reliant American culture. We need to be served. You need people to bear, excuse me, to bear your burdens. Galatians 6 verse 2 says very plainly, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's how you can be the church to one another. You bear one another's burdens. You're not meant to carry your burdens alone. You're meant to let your brothers and sisters help you bear that burden and carry it with you. You're not meant to bear it by yourself. You need others to share the load. And if you don't think you need this stuff, you have been deceived. If you don't think you need this, you are exactly where Satan wants you. If you don't think you need the body of Christ, you don't yet fully understand what it means to be a Christian. The mature Christian is not the one who needs nothing from others. The mature Christian is the one who has wisdom to know his need and the humility to accept ministry from the body of Christ. Think about the animals in the plains of Africa. Let's think about, let's think about a pack of zebra for a second. That pack of zebra is only as strong as if they stay together. They're only as strong as them keeping together with the pack. But what what happens when one zebra strays away from the pack? The lion is licking his chops. Brothers and sisters, there is a lion prowling around, looking for someone to devour. And when Satan sees a believer that says, I don't need the church, I don't need the body of Christ, I don't need anything from them, Satan begins licking his chops. That one's off by itself. It's weak. It's vulnerable. Brothers and sisters, we are helping one another hold on to Jesus. That is what the church is all about. We're helping one another hold on to Jesus until that time when we are called home and we can finally let go. Until that time, we need one another. We need the body of Christ. And it's not just me saying as the minister, y'all need the body of Christ. I need the body of Christ. I need you. This past week we needed the body of Christ, right? I had a little knee surgery this past week on Monday, but the body of Christ here came out in full force. We were telling people, we were turning people away, not because we didn't want them to help us meet our need, but because somebody else in the church already met that need and other people were offering too. It's a beautiful thing. Witnessing and feeling the love of the body of Christ. We needed the body of Christ this past week. There are churches, let me tell you, there are churches where the minister preaches, plays an instrument, leads the singing, prints up the bulletins, cleans the building, mows the yard, visits the sick, plans every event, takes every phone call, and his wife is in charge of the youth ages 0 through 18. There are churches like that. And let me tell you, those people burn out real fast. I need the body of Christ. It's a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing. 
When I can say of some other responsibility in the church, now somebody else has got that, and I know they've got that. It's a beautiful thing. Because God has wired us all differently, has he not? He's wired you to do things that I can't do, and I am so thankful that you can do the things that God did not wire me to do. It's a blessing so I can focus on the ways that God has gifted me to serve you all. And you can focus on the ways that God has gifted you to serve us as well. Brothers and sisters, we need one another. We need the church. Now Paul talks about those two faulty ways of thinking, and then he spends the rest of the passage talking about how we are all in this together. We are all in this together, brothers and sisters. Look at verses 22 through 24 where he's, again, talking about the physical body, and he says, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, well, they're indispensable, right? Think of your own physical body. It's like that, is it not? The parts that seem to be weaker, they're actually indispensable. Verse 23, he goes on, the parts of the body that we think less honorable, on them we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts, this makes complete sense when you think about it, our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, and the more presentable parts do not require it. Think about this. We take the parts of our body for granted until we can no longer use them, right? We take the parts of our body for granted, and then comes a day where we can't use one of them. Someone loses a thumb, a a little bitty part of your body, your thumb, right? And all of a sudden they realize, there's a hundred things I can't do. It's indispensable, right? Those that seem weaker are indispensable. Those that seem less honorable... Paul says, are treated with more honor, true with our physical body, true in the spiritual body of Christ. God's kingdom does not work the way the world does. God's kingdom does not work the way the world does. The world values what's visible. The world values what's obviously strong. The world values what gets results. But God says, if you remember, all the way back in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, it says... 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God's kingdom does not work the way the world does. Perhaps the greatest picture we have of this is Jesus' time on this earth, Jesus' life and his death. Over and over again during Jesus' ministry, he chose tax collectors, prostitutes, pagans, the rejected, the destitute, rather than the influential or the religious or the respected or the insiders. He was born to a poor, unmarried couple. Born in a feeding trough in a barn with animals. He took the lowly vocation of a carpenter. He spent his ministry homeless. And even though he was the king of the universe and the savior of the world, he allowed himself to be arrested, beaten, spat upon, ridiculed, nailed to a cross, and killed. And that was how he saved us. That was how he displayed his glory in the greatest way. Think about this. The greatest display of the glory of God and the glory of Christ was when he let people defeat him. Was when he let people kill him. It was the greatest display of the glory of God in the history of the world. Now what does this mean practically? This means in the church, for us, 
We don't look down on anyone because they might seem weaker or less influential. In fact, those are exactly the ones we would expect to u- God to use in the mightiest of ways. Those who are weaker, who seem less influential, we don't look down on them. In fact, those are exactly the ones that we would expect God to use in the mightiest of ways. In the world of politics, it's the wealthy, the powerful, the loud, and the popular who are the most important and the most influential. In the world of sports, it's the biggest and strongest and fastest. In the world of entertainment, it's the most attractive, the most shocking, or the most trendy. In the church, it's the quiet, humble, simple, gentle, self-sacrificing servants who are actually the most important. Zach Eswine, who often writes to pastors, wrote this in one of his books. He says, The contemporary church values large things famously done as fast as possible. Hear that? The contemporary church, what they value is large things famously done as fast as possible. God often values small, mostly overlooked things over a long period of time. The first appears successful and gets promoted. The second does not. There's a lot of wisdom in that. What would it look like if in eternity God allowed us to know all the eternal fruit that came from the Columbia Christian Church? What would that look like? If in eternity, when this age has passed away, God allowed us to see all of the eternal fruit that came from the Columbia Christian Church, what would we see? Who would be the heroes? Let me tell you, it would be just like God to make it where those with the greatest impact in his kingdom were the ones serving behind the scenes with no recognition. That would be just like God. Look at verses 24 through 26 with me. It says, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Why? There's a positive and a negative here. Why has God composed the body in such a way that greater honor goes to the parts that lack it? Why has he done this? Well, on the negative, he did it, verse 25, so that there may be no division in the body. Right? God does that so there won't be any division. The parts that lack it from the outside, God gives greater honor to those parts. The parts that have more honor from the outside, well, they don't need more from God. So he's evening it out. There might be no division in the body. That's his goal. That's the negative side of it. What's the positive? The end of verse 25. But that the members may have the same care for one another. Now, I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, we here at Columbia Christian Church, we don't always do this as best as we can. We make mistakes here. There might be times where some members of the church here feel like, I have not been cared for as well as somebody else was cared for. And sometimes you might be right. There might be times where you're right, where we drop the ball on that one. But our goal, our goal that we are striving to meet imperfectly is to have the same level of care for everyone, no matter who they are. So you, you hear me talking about this past week, how we felt the love of the body of Christ. We felt the love of the Columbia Christian Church when I had my little knee surgery. But you might be sitting there thinking, well, yeah, but you're the preacher. Of course they're going to come out in droves for you. And that's right, brothers and sisters. I'm here to tell us we should be doing the same thing to the, the, the unheralded member of the church 
that is not leading from the front in any way, shape, or form. We should be doing the same thing, carrying in the same way. And to the credit of the brothers and sisters here at the Columbia Christian Church, we see it all the time. We see it all the time where people do it. It's not just for the the leaders of the church. It's for everyone. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. We must all care for one another. He says in verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Right? We suffer with one another. We rejoice with one another. A few weeks ago, I was at a pastor's retreat in Indiana. And all of us there, we're we're all pastors, so every time you're talking to somebody, you automatically have something in common with the person you're talking to, even if you don't know them. I saw this guy sitting down by the fireplace one one time. We had some free time, so I I sat right next to him. And I didn't know him very well, but it's fun getting to know other pastors. So I sat down next to him, and I said, hey, uh, I'm John. And he introduced himself, and I said, "Just, just real nonchalantly, I just said, hey, tell me about your church. And the floodgates opened, and he started crying. And you could tell he desperately needed to get this off his chest. He serves at a church that's much different than ours. It's very, very small. It's in a very rural part of town. And he often feels like his ministry is useless and fruitless. He feels like all the ways that he gives himself to the people time and time again, it doesn't make a difference. He feels attacked at times. He feels like God's just putting him through the ringer. He feels like maybe, maybe what they're doing, the ways that they're serving, is, is just not worth anything in the end. He and his wife are extremely discouraged a lot of the times. And as he was talking, I just, I just let him go. The tears flowed, and he went for about 30 minutes telling me about everything that he needed to get off his chest. And you could tell that he reached kind of a time where he'd got it all out, and he, he kind of took a breath. You know, he, he finally got it out. He really needed that. And then he turned back to me, and he said, John, tell me about your church, about the ministry that you have. And I looked at him, and I was like, dude, I, I, don't, I almost don't want to. I, I mean it. I felt horrible. I told him that. I said, I feel horrible but it's, it's amazing. It's fantastic. It's life-giving. It's, I've been there for two years. It's better than we even thought it was going to be. They, they treat us wonderful. It's been so great. And I told him, I was like, I'm sorry. And he said, sorry? Don't be sorry. I'm happy for you. I, I rejoice with you in that. And you could tell on his face he was being sincere. He wasn't trying to put on a fake face to rejoice with me. He wasn't saying, um, you know, no, I'm really jealous on the inside, but I'll say on the outside that I'm happy for you. He genuinely was. He was doing what it's talking about in this passage. Even though he was going through a time of heartache and suffering, he was rejoicing with me at my happiness, right? And, and I was feeling what he was feeling. I was suffering for him as he was talking about his situation. Brothers and sisters, that's the church. That's what we're supposed to be doing for one another, Paul says in Romans 12, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. When one of us goes through suffering, we're all going to go there with them. You go through the valley of the shadow of death, I want to go with you. I might not feel it like you feel it, right? I might not feel what you feel. Nobody's going to feel it like the person who's actually involved in the suffering the closest. But we all want to help. We all want to carry that burden. We all want to walk with you through it. Then somebody rejoices over here. Somebody is honored over here. We're not going to say, oh, I'm jealous of them. 
I can't believe that happened to them and not to me. No, we rejoice with them. We give them their day. We rejoice in their happiness. We don't want it for ourselves. We're glad that it happened to them because we love them. This is the body of Christ, brothers and sisters, caring for one another. But let me, let me tell you this. This won't happen for you unless you open yourself up to the body of Christ. This will not happen for you unless you let us suffer or rejoice with you. Unless you open your life up to these people. Unless you are with them. Unless you get to know them. Unless you're involved in their life and you help meet some needs in their life so that when you have a need, they will turn and meet yours as well. This won't happen unless you open yourself up to the body of Christ, to your brothers and sisters here. And so let's talk for just a moment. What if you're sitting out there saying, well, I might just want to place membership at a place like that, right? And this is going to apply to other, other churches too, but I'm going to tell you, what does church membership look like at Columbia Christian Church? If you're saying, how do I place membership at Columbia Christian Church and what does that mean? Let me spend just a few minutes talking about that. First thing I want to say when it comes to church membership, especially at this church, but at any church really, is this. Don't date the church. Don't date the church. You see, church membership is like marriage. People will often say, at least these days, people often say about marriage, why do we need a ceremony and a piece of paper to prove we love each other? Why do we need that? Right? We love each other. Why do we need to go through all that and get married? Well, brothers and sisters, there's a world of difference between till death do us part and until we decide to break up. There's a world of difference between leaving the back door open and I can walk out at any time versus closing the back door, locking it, throwing away the key and saying, till death do us part, I'm with you no matter what. No matter how ugly it gets, no matter what sin you might fall to, no matter if you get Alzheimer's or dementia or whatever, we're with each other till the end, right? There's a world of difference between dating and that. Church membership is the same way. Don't date the church. Now, I'm not saying you need to make a commitment to a church hastily or quickly, but there are so many people, like we said earlier, in churches all across America who've long gone beyond the point of praying through the decision, of being there long enough to know. They're just dating the church, just dipping their toes in the water and getting back out, dipping their toes in the water and getting back out. That's not church membership, brothers. That's not a church family. You don't want to be the person who's a guest at the table because somebody invited you to the family dinner. No, you want to be a family member with a spot at the table, part of the family in all its warts and all its fights and all its imperfections, but it's a family and we're with one another no matter what Make a commitment. Don't date the church. If you want to become a member at Columbia Christian Church, what would you do? Well, first, you'd schedule a meeting with me. That meeting is very important because during that meeting, what I do is I go over with people what they should expect from the church and what the church expects from them. That's right. When you become a member of the church, you should have expectations of us. And we will have expectations of you as well. There are expectations both ways. You should have expectations from the church, pastoral care, spiritual care, us checking up on you, us giving you the same level of care that we give everyone else. We have expectations of our members too. We expect our members to be involved in the gatherings of the church regularly whenever they can. 
We expect our members to be involved in the lives of one another. We expect our members to pursue Jesus Christ and a relationship with Jesus Christ in their personal lives. We expect one another to be repenting of sin when we fall to it. We expect one another to give of our time, our money, our spiritual gifts to serve the body of Christ. We have expectations both ways. You make a commitment to this church, this church makes a commitment to you. Listen to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, where it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The church leaders here at Columbia Christian have been charged with keeping watch over the souls of the members of Columbia Christian Church. And it actually says, we will give an account to the Lord for that. You should expect us to hold up and to fulfill that charge that God has given us to care for and watch over the souls of the members here at Columbia Christian Church because God's going to hold us accountable for that, the church leaders. James says in chapter 3, James 3 verse 1, not every one of you should presume to be teachers, brothers and sisters, because God will hold teachers more strictly. He will judge them more strictly. There is a level of accountability that church leaders have that the rest of the body does not have. You should expect care from us because we will stand before the Lord. We will be accountable for a certain group of people. But brothers and sisters, it's not all Christians that we're accountable for. It's not anyone who attends a worship service in this building that we're accountable for. God will hold us accountable for those who place themselves willingly under our spiritual care. Church membership, brothers and sisters, you make a commitment to us, we make a commitment to you, we all covenant together and make a commitment to one another. And the only reason we can do this is Christ. It's the body of Christ. Jesus gave up his body on the cross so that there would be a spiritual body with him as the head. The only reason we can have this The only reason this beautiful pattern for the church exists is because Jesus' death and resurrection, and then he ascended into heaven. Right now, Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding for us, brothers and sisters, and we eagerly await his return. It will come one day. We don't know when. One day he will come, and we will all be together as the universal body of Christ from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. But until then, we have local outposts of God's kingdom. And Columbia Christian Church is one. You need to be a part of a local outpost of God's kingdom. You need to have a church family if you don't, brothers and sisters. Don't be the arrogant zebra out away from the pack. It's a dangerous place to be. You need one another. We need each other. We're going to take some time here to pray about this. We offer a time every week of silent reflection and prayer so that every single one of us can respond to what God just sent right here, to what God just put to our hearts. We're going to take this time to respond to the Lord in prayer, every single one of us, because God likely spoke something slightly different to you than he did to me. So you need this time to go to the Lord, to respond to the Lord. We're asking that you spend this time in prayer. And after we have some time of private prayer, we'll come back. We'll have a time of public response for anyone who needs to respond that way. So let's pray.